Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google. What makes them industry giants? Get ready to take a peek inside and learn their secrets of success. This is Silicon Valley Insider, the show that demystifies the valley and helps to elevate your business to the next level. Now, your host for Silicon Valley Insider, Keith Koo. Welcome to Silicon Valley Insider. I am your host, Keith Koo. On today's show, I have John Madigan, who's a senior security architect at Checkpoint Software. I also will be talking um, in depth about some of the research coming out on cybersecurity and what's under the hood. So don't go away. In this week's tech news, big headlines is Elon Musk can't help himself but continue to tweet, and the SEC is really not happy about it. Uh, this is important because Tesla is a well-known tech company here in the Valley, both for cars and emerging technology. And we talk a lot about regulations. The SEC Securities Exchange Commission really doesn't like that Elon keeps tweeting about things that could impact the market, especially the value of Tesla stock. It's going to be very interesting to see what enforcement actions they take on Elon um, to the point where Tesla's general counsel actually quit more regulatory news. Facebook is getting smacked down by the UK. The United Kingdom is actually calling them digital gangsters. How this relates to us in the United States is that Europe has really stringent data protection regulations. Um, General Data Protection Regulation of the European Union was enacted last year, and the UK is also formulating their own. We live in the state of California here from this show. And California has set its sights to have an even more stringent data protection law enacted by 2020. We've been living in the Wild West when it comes to technology companies, and they are getting more and more scrutinized. So if you're a business that really wants to get into something related to data, you should be aware of these laws as they come in. This show talks a lot about pivots. Apple just announced um, by their CEO, Tim Cook, that not only do they care about your physical well-being, so you can track your health on the iWatch or the iPhone, but they're actually going to come out with their own Apple-branded credit card with Goldman Sachs, and this is going to have all kinds of apps tied to it so that you not only can take care of your physical well-being, but your financial well-being. The last set of news for this week has to do with Coinbase, which is the U.S.'s largest cryptocurrency exchange. Two things. One, they bought a company called Neutrino. Neutrino is really well-known for being able to track cryptocurrency. As much as people think that Bitcoin's anonymous, if you track the network protocols involved with these transactions, the government will ultimately find you. Uh, They bought a company that does that, and this continues to just demonstrate how far cryptocurrency has progressed and how it continues to go mainstream. And that's the tech news of the week. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider. Again, I'm joined with John Madigan, who's a senior security architect at Checkpoint. Hi, John. Hi, Keith. I'm really excited to be on the show today. John, I think it's great that you're here. Uh, This show, we love talking about security. We love to keep people safe and protected. So I thought it'd be great to have an expert, especially with the ever-changing threat landscape. John and I actually met at a conference recently where we were actually speaking on ransomware. And it was was kind of cool because the question was ransomware to pay or not to pay. Now, we're not going to get into that in this segment. You're going to have to listen to the next segment to find out what that's all about. But John, I wanted to know, how did you get into the security business? I got my start back when the internet was just getting started, or really just starting to take off. And 
maybe I'm dating myself as far as my age goes, but back in 1999 is when I first got my first IT job, and I was hired by an ISP that provided managed security services to customers, and I did that for a number of years until the dot-com bubble burst, and then I got into banking. And I've been a Checkpoint employee now for 10 years, but prior to that, I was a Checkpoint customer for 10 years and working in some of the largest bank networks in the world to secure those from attack or to keep your financial records safe from prying eyes. It's not that long. I thought you were going to say you came back from the Al Gore days when he invented the internet. No, <laughs> no, no. I, I did not. Uh, I did not take part in in that. So that's interesting. I mean, I think uh, so. You ten years at Checkpoint as an employee, and ten years before that as a customer. What are some of the themes, or what are some of the things that you've seen change? I mean, as a child, I remember War Games. Matthew Broderick, the movie, and back then, and I'll have to admit that when I was in junior high, some of my friends got busted by the FBI for um, accidentally or poking around things they shouldn't have been poking around. This is like the early 80s. What has happened since then? I mean, mid-90s till now, how have things progressed? I believe the evolution of malware has progressed to the point that You can purchase malware as a service on the internet through the dark web. The dark web is an online community of illegal activity. You can buy guns. You can buy drugs. You can purchase malware. You can purchase stolen credit card information. You can purchase just about any illicit product in the world that has any kind of monetary value on the dark web. And, and the dark web is related to the internet. It's not some parallel web service. Correct. It, it's, a secretive, it's a secretive world within the internet. It's not a separate infrastructure. It's, a, it's something that you get involved. Once you get involved in, then you are interacting with criminals on a daily basis. But you can purchase malware with bitcoins, for example. <laughs> You can purchase ransomware with Bitcoins. You can purchase botnets using Bitcoins. So I think the dark web has changed the the landscape as far as the skill level required to cause major data breaches. The tools are out there that for sale that are packaged up and ready to purchase, someone with very little technical skill can go online and purchase this malware and implement a very sophisticated attack as a result. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point, right? I, I, we were saying that uh, as cybercrime grew up, usually a talented individual figured out an exploit, figured out a way to get into something, might have poked around or might have actually used it to for financial gain, but they were pretty sophisticated. And what you're saying, um, just like the non-dark web, the regular internet uh, boosted e-commerce, that because of that same infrastructure, you now have the ability to purchase malware as a service so that even if you're not the expert, you can find um, someone you can pay to get credentials, to get financial information. Um, 
You know, we hear about buying bulk credit card information. So if you're an executive, a business owner, or an individual, all this might sound really scary to you, but no, there's going to be hope. You can actually hire the same types of resources to protect yourselves as the nefarious people are using to attack you. So don't go away. We have a lot more to cover with John Madigan of Checkpoint Software. Any questions or comments, email us at info at svn.biz, and we'll be right back. For questions or comments on today's program, call one 888 828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Hey, Insiders. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. Today, I'm joined with John Madigan, who is a senior security architect at Checkpoint. In our first segment, we had talked a lot about the rise of malware as a service. So in the old days, you would be a sophisticated hacker-type person and learn how to take advantage of what's called exploits and figure stuff out. Well, that's gotten a lot easier because criminals can actually purchase malware as a service from other hackers and still get your data. So, John, welcome back. Thank you. A question is, with all the scariness of being um, vulnerable to cyber attacks, what are some of the ways people can protect themselves? I believe the key is to understanding the threats that are out there and implementing, if you're a business owner, making sure that prevention is key, um, putting tools in place to prevent malware from entering your network rather than detecting it after it's occurred. Uh, malware that's entered your network, the longer it's resided in your network, the costlier it is to remediate in terms of financial resources, man hours, and downtime. So really understanding the threats that are out there and your areas of vulnerability. Um, many people believe that their phones are, are safe from hackers, but they bring their phones into the office, they connect to corporate resources with that phone, and then they take that phone home at the end of the day, and their kids get a hold of it, they, they load games on it, they, they do a number of things on it, they, they surf the web on it, and then you take that phone back into work the next day. Um, the rise of mobile malware is something that people need to be well aware of because if your mobile device becomes infected, you can now infect your corporate network as well. Just as an example of some mobile malware, there were there was a malware variant called Adult Swine, and it infected children's games. Adult on, Swine. Adult Swine okay. is the name of the malware that infected children's games, and those games were downloaded 7 million times from the Google Play Store or the Apple App Store. So this is one of the areas that people need to be aware of that Threats are out there to your mobile devices, but we also need to protect your cloud assets as well. So there's um, defense, in, defense in depth is the concept, and there are a number of tools to implement. But first, to understand the threat is key, where you're vulnerable, and what defenses to put in place. So... Um, Checkpoint, for example, we provide a free service 
to our customers as well as non-customers. We will come in and perform a free security assessment of, of your environment where we'll connect a device to your network and then run that device in your network and then at the end of that period of time, usually a week, then we'll we'll run a report and it'll identify any threats that we've that we've seen in your network and provide you some remediation steps to clean that up. The other areas uh, where people can secure themselves better, you know, just being aware that email attachments, whether they're from a trusted source or not, you have to think twice about editing those email attachments, particularly Microsoft Office files, anything that has active content in it. Active content, when I say that, I'm referring to macros. Yep. Those macros can be malicious. And when you enable editing mode on a Microsoft Office document, then you may be unleashing uh, malware in your network. That's a common delivery mechanism for malware and ransomware. Thank, thanks, John. <laughs> I wanted to go back uh, to a couple points you made because uh, Guardian Insight, my consulting firm, we deal a lot with both corporations and startups. And I think the the mindset, right, so you just mentioned corporations and how you offer or Checkpoint and other security firms offer, you know, in a sense, free risk assessments or free security assessments. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of times a corporation, especially a regulated corporation, it sounds counterintuitive, but they don't accept these free assessments because – they're afraid of disclosing the vulnerability once they find out about it. Because in some regulatory situations, once you know that there's a, a known threat or vulnerability, you have to disclose. So they're, so, and, and I know you, you and I both came out of banking, so you know what I'm talking about. Yes. And then you get the startups who say, well, the cost of remediation or doing an assessment is going to slow me down. And where we see that happening more in startups is – uh, as the Valley, we talk a lot about on our show, the Valley is getting more regulated. The secret to the Valley in the old days, a bunch of like different things, smart people, cap- free access to capital, free flow of ideas, and lack of regulation. Regulation is making these startups more and more aware because as they try to woo uh, a financial service sector company or a healthcare, um, they have to be risk assessed. So offering these services is great and getting people to understand that they're out there um, as a benefit is important because they are either stuck with, again, fear of disclosure or fear of cost. Uh, and I've encountered this on a, on a regular basis. I've encountered customers with two different mindsets that if there's a threat existing in my network, I want to know about it. I want to remediate it as soon as possible. And then there are others that I had a director of a large company tell me one time that I don't want to know what I don't already know, because if I know, then I'm obligated to fix it. <laughs> so um, that, to me, is burying your head in the sand. And the longer that malware exists in your network, then the greater the cost to remediate it and the, the greater the damage, the greater the potential damage to your brand, really. Well, well we saw this with the city of Atlanta. <laughs> I mean, the panel you and I were talking about, we've, this has been out in the news for about a year now when Atlanta got hit with ransomware. And again, we're not here. We'll, we'll do the next segment where you should pay the ransomware or not. But uh, they were offered a chance to get out of you know jail in a sense by paying the ransom. They didn't. 
And uh, what happened instead, though, is they ended up paying um, in excess of $17 million, um, more th- north of that, in order to remediate. And in some cases, they lost 16, 17 years of data. And this is back to prevention, proper backups, incident management, change control. All that is really important, whether you're a large company or you're an individual or a business owner. A lot of businesses are afraid to put a prevention policy in place where they would much rather detect it because of the fear of false positives. So there has been a number of enhancements in the recent years, including AI, that makes it greatly reduces the number of false positives that that you're getting. And to put a detect policy in place, you're detecting it after it's occurred. And many network administrators and security administrators who I work with only discover that event has occurred as a result of researching something else. As a result of researching uh, maybe a network outage or something like that, then they, they come across clues in their environment that of a potential compromise. But people are not actively looking at those logs. Thanks, John. So the point we're trying to make on this segment is more like getting a physical. You get a physical to make sure that everything is working properly. You get your teeth examined to make sure that there's no problem before it starts because you might have a crack in your tooth, but you wouldn't know about it if you wouldn't get a checkup until after that toothache or after you need a root canal. This is to avoid the root canal. Get a security assessment, especially if it's free, because your organization needs to be healthy. And if you wait too long, the cost of remediation, just like the cost of fixing that tooth or the cost of fixing your car or dealing with termites Mm -hmm. in your home, it just gets exponentially more expensive. So if you have any questions or comments on how to Mm -hmm. keep your business safe, email us at info at svn.biz, and we'll be right back. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo. Today, I'm joined with John Madigan, Senior Security Architect at Checkpoint Software. Hi, John. Thanks again for being here. No, Happy to be here. So for this week's Cyber Tip, John and I were at, recently at a conference, and the question was ransomware. To pay or not to pay? And it was uh, quite interesting because we had Elvis Chan, the senior supervisory agent for the FBI in the San Francisco region, and uh, a, a few other folks who are cybersecurity experts. Um, John, what do you think? Ransomware, should you pay it or not pay it? Our position at Checkpoint is to not put yourself in the position where you have to determine whether to pay it or not pay it. If you, It goes back to my point about having a prevention policy in place. If you, if you have a prevention policy in place that prevents ransomware from getting into your network and then actually encrypting your data, then, then you'll never have this discussion internally within your, within your business. So that's our position. If... If you do become infected with malware, then the chances are that you're going to be able to decrypt your hard drive because 
hackers or the people that are responsible for ransomware, their their money making model is to be able to collect a fee from you, and if they collect a fee from you and they don't provide you the decryption keys to get your data back, then people are going to become aware of that and they're not going to pay in the future. But then there's been instances where the malware or ransomware was so poorly written that people that wanted to pay were unable to pay, and as a result, the ransomware developers were unable to provide the encryption keys back to the end users. So um, our position is to have a prevention policy in place so you don't have to take that chance because it is, it's a roll of the dice, really, whether you're going to get your data back. And once your machine has become infected with ransomware, even if you get your files back and you've decrypted your files, they've had full access to your system at that point. What else have they done? What other things have they left behind after those files were decrypted? You've paid the you've paid the ransom. Now the files have been decrypted. What did they leave behind? That's my real concern, that they could leave malware behind that could stay dormant for months or even years or only kick off when a specific event is triggered. So... Um, our position is to don't put yourself in that position by having an effective security policy in place that prevents malware, that prevents ransomware from taking a foothold in your network. Thanks, John. And that's the Cyber Tip of the Week. So going more into that, uh, ransomware, it's interesting, right, because uh, at an individual level, you might lose some financial documents. You might lose some family photos or photos that you cherish. But that really is the – really speaks to instead of paying the ransomware, have effective backups. Whether you're an individual or business, um, you should be keeping backups of your important data so that if something bad were to happen – because it might not be ransomware. You might actually um, – your hard drive might die, right? So the same things uh, – we talk about data privacy a lot – or not privacy, but data protection – the same things that you need to think about is you shouldn't wait till in our last segment we had talked about other preventative steps, risk assessments. Um, you should always consider your digital footprint, your digital assets, exactly as that as an asset. You need to go through the steps of protecting that. And so if you have to wait and worry about malware or ransomware, you should really think about, hey, do I have an effective strategy to keep my digital assets safe? Yeah, and you mentioned backups and that, that is key, but you know a lot of a lot of people who I talk to don't test their backups on a regular basis until disaster strikes, and then they find out that they've got a corrupted backup, or there is ransomware that will actually target your backups. So um, the the malware and ransomware is continuing to evolve. That the the ransomware writers they they're aware that. Your number one strategy is to to restore from backups, so they are targeting your backups, and you don't know if your if your backups are are compromised or not. So it's a, it's a good point, and, and that's a whole different show which we'll have to do in the future. But I think back to what we're talking about under the hood of cybercrime, and I really like the point that Checkpoint made: democratization of cybercrime. When I look through the report, the recent report uh, from Checkpoint. We had talked about in the first segment how 
um, hackers have become more sophisticated. It's not just uh, smart guys and gals who are poking around and figuring exploits out. Now it's a concentrated effort by, in some cases, organized crime. So I looked through the organizational makeup of these entities. It's no different than a company, right? You've got programmers, you've got merchants, IT technicians, um, hosting services, and, and management. So they're organized. The only two things that pop out as being um, extraordinary are the the hackers and the fraudsters. But otherwise, it's no different than being in a company. It's a, it's a very lucrative business to be in. Um, Cybercrime, if you can steal hundreds of millions of credit card um, records, data, if you can um, transfer money from, from bank accounts to, to some foreign bank account that's, that's hard to trace, um, these are all – this is the evolution, really, of, of malware and – now we we're talking about ransomware, but ransomware is you're not hearing about it as much in the news as you used to. So, John, a lot of criticism in the cybersecurity industry is that it's always reactive, right? You have to wait till something comes out, patient zero, zero day threat. All these things have to happen before a company like Checkpoint can jump on it. So, what are some of the techniques that very large cyber companies like Checkpoint are doing? to stay ahead of the curve? Uh, Checkpoint's invested very heavily in research. Um, Tel Aviv, Israel, is where Checkpoint got started and is a hotbed of cybersecurity startups, with Checkpoint being the original 25 years ago. Checkpoint invests significant amounts of money in cyber research, and we also turn to the academic world uh, the governments, we get feeds, we get threat feeds from from a number of different sources, and we collaborate with a number of different sources, including some competitors, even for the better good of the people. So um, what we've done is we've published reports. Checkpoint Research um, is a publisher of a number of recent reports that highlight the trends in cybersecurity and how we are, the, how the threats are evolving as a result of security evolves, then the threat actors evolve their tactics as well. So it's it's constantly a cat and mouse game, but I think the game changer as far as the good guys winning are the advancements in artificial intelligence. Artificial intelligence is going to revolutionize the way that we analyze malware and detect patterns within it to determine that it's malware. Patient zero or any kind of zero-day type attack, um, these, through artificial intelligence and a number of other techniques that we have, then we can determine whether this malware that appears to be benign right now could be activated in the future when some event is triggered. So there are a lot of evasion techniques that malware will use, and being aware of those evasion techniques is critical. Thanks. And I, you know, the scale of Checkpoint as a major security player, um, you should get into a little bit about that. How many customers, how many countries? I mean, Checkpoint's everywhere. Uh, Checkpoint is the original 
cybersecurity company. We got our start over 25 years ago in Tel Aviv. Very few companies back then were thinking about security. A lot of major corporations, security to them meant access control lists on on network routers, mm-hmm. protecting the perimeter, maybe some internal segmentation via via routers and and then, you know, file permissions. So hmm. I, I think a great way to end this segment, the key point is that people shouldn't get comfortable because just because uh, cybersecurity um, continues to evolve, that even if they think they're safe, the threat actors continue to also progress and advance their techniques. So what would be some of the things to look out for in the future? We talked about um, enterprise email compromises and those types of things. What are things that people should be always thinking about beyond just, oh, once I get the virus or once I see the malware detected? How do they keep themselves, um, future-proof themselves? Well, really understanding that malware typically, we see new malware signatures constantly. Constantly we're, we're analyzing malware, we're creating new malware signatures, but those signatures are only seen in the wild for a very short period of time. And what that means is that that malware is continuing to morph and evolve. I can, if I'm a, if I'm a hacker, I can take malware that somebody created years ago and slightly modify it, and now I've got a zero-day attack that antivirus, which is signature-based protections, or traditional IPS, intrusion prevention systems, anything that's signature-based is not going to detect a zero-day type attack. Well, thanks, John. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's why it's called a virus, mm-hmm. because it acts just like one and just like a cold or a flu. Different strains can come out from that. And so, um, just like we said in the previous segments, an ounce of prevention will save you a lot of money. If you have questions or comments um, on what we talked about so far, email us at info at svn.biz, especially take advantage of the free security assessments that Checkpoint provides. We'll be right back. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Hey, Insiders. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. Today, I'm joined with John Madigan, who's a senior security architect with Checkpoint Software. Hi again, John. Hey, Keith. Earlier in the show today, we had talked about John's company, Checkpoint, a global security powerhouse. And we really hit home that preventative measures, whether you're an individual, a business, um, can help prevent a lot of grief if a malware attack actually went into your business or your home computer. Uh, This segment is really about the pivot, which is whether you're a company or um, an individual changing careers, how there's lots of stories on people making transitions. And what I thought was really cool about John is that he wasn't always a traditional tech person in the IT world. He started off his career doing something very different. So, John, I want to talk about your story. Uh, yeah, well, after high school, I graduated high school, and I went to trade school, and I became an electrician. I worked in the building trades for a number of years. It's good, honest work. It's it's hard work. However, I could never – I never felt like I was uh, – like I was getting ahead in life, and I 
I wanted to, to make a change, and I went back to school. I got a degree in computer networking, and my very first job out of school was uh, a network security-related position that I'd mentioned earlier with an internet service provider in Raleigh, North Carolina, and we provided managed security services to to customers. How hard was the transition from being an electrician to getting a degree in um, a computer-related field to becoming a network uh, engineer? I've always been very hands-on and, and very technical. And when I was an electrician, I had my own business for for a period of time. And I, I bought uh, an i486 Intel computer, if anyone <laughs> remembers those. And it had a 14.4 modem in it. And it just wasn't fast enough anymore. So I needed to upgrade that to a 28.8 modem. And well, what I did is I went out and I bought one off the shelf and I, I opened up the computer for the first time and, well, I started looking at it and I figured it out. Hey, these components slot in here. The modem slots in here. Before you knew it, I was rebuilding, completely rebuilding that computer. And then this was in 99 when the internet was just starting to take off and I saw the promise of that and I decided to pursue a career in in an internet-related internet related field. That's great. And I think uh, especially transitioning to today, right, so the rise of the Internet, uh, I think no matter what you studied, uh, trade or in a university, you're always worried about being um, automated out of a job, outsourced out of a job. And I think the story is that no matter where you are in life, you can always learn a new skill, you can always transition and stay current or keep current. And I think it's interesting because a, a study just came out um, by fitsmallbusiness.com, and they ranked seven jobs in emerging tech that are both cool and well-paying. And uh, I'll just bring up a couple of them, and I'll do um, a much more detailed report in a future show. But things like embedded systems R&D test engineers sounds really boring, right? But it makes $238,000 a year on average. Or deep learning architect... Two hundred thirteen thousand seven hundred. Um, I think a lot of people, because we're a little bit spoiled living here in the valley, they are a little concerned about picking up a skill set. Uh, we talk a lot about School Forty Two, uh, in essence, um, a trade school, but a trade school for software. You don't need a college degree, and they provide the education for free. Uh, those are the types of programs I think will be coming out to keep people who are fearful of, of, of being um, their jobs being eliminated, of uh, finding a new way to learn and a new skill set. Um, sometimes cost is a factor. That's why I bring up specifically School 42, because that's um, here in Silicon Valley. Um, age isn't a factor. Socioeconomic status isn't a factor. Having a college degree or not having one um, is not a factor. It's just aptitude for picking up software development, and they'll let you in. Right. It sounds like a, a very good program and something that uh, that I would like to to learn more about and possibly work with you guys to. Oh, to. A- absolutely! So, um, what other advice do you have for people thinking of switching careers since you've done that successfully? I I think you really have to be adaptable in this economy. That um, so many jobs. I lived in North Carolina for a number of years, where the furniture industry just was the livelihood for. For a large number of people, and it, when the furniture industry left, then it decimated the economies of 
a number of towns and small towns in North Carolina that really have never recovered from that, in my opinion. So um, you have to be adaptable, and you also have to be able to go where the work is. So I've I've relocated a number of times over the years um, since I since I started my career in, in technology that I've I've moved from North Carolina to Florida to recently to Silicon Valley. So um, going where the going where the markets are are hot, um, security is always something that's in demand. I know that's not in your list of of top careers, but there's a serious shortage of security professionals out there. So I think if anyone is going to choose a career in in the computer sciences, having a focus on security is really, that's not going to change anytime soon, the, the demand for security professionals. Oh, with that, John, I, I thank you a lot. And just to clarify, uh, this was just the top seven emerging tech jobs. Uh, as John mentioned, there's a severe shortage of security professionals. John's company Checkpoint and others offer, in essence, an apprenticeship program. And you can check that out at Checkpoint.com. Um, any other questions or comments, you can email us at info at svn.biz. A uh, quick reminder that my conference, TULIP, the Emerging Technology Conference, is going to be happening June 3rd through 7th in San Francisco. It was widely attended last year, over 100 speakers, um, 1,000 attendees. If you, wanted question, if you wanted to learn how to be a sponsor or a speaker or a presenter at that conference, also email us at info at svn.biz. So thanks again, John, and we'll see you next week. You've been listening to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. For questions or comments on today's program or to schedule a complimentary consultation with Keith about your business, call 1-888-828-SVIN. That's 1-888-828-7846, 888-828-SVIN.